0: This is what that cowboy said to me. Lips, peckers, and assholes, they're all you're gonna meet along the way. Lips, peckers, and assholes, society gets worse every single goddamn day. Welcome to the Pure Meat, Pure Gold Show. I'm Alex Lender. I believe this is show number six. We're recording this on Thursday, April 24th, 2014. We're going to start off with me reprising my Snake Song. But first, first let's get up to date on where we are with VNN. First of all, the voice you're hearing comes from vnnforum.com, Linder 5 on Twitter, Welcome to follow me. I have hundreds, and I'm looking to grow up over 2,000 is my goal right now. You're welcome to follow and retweet, and I'll retweet yours if you have good ones. Every Monday I write a column called On Language, and you can find everything I write posted in the general forum at vnnforum.com on a sticky thread. And usually, most of what I post is also posted other places. And on languages, posted at least three places, besides the master index of my writings, which is in showcase uh, up at the top. I've got left this week just to talk a little about what's uh, what's coming. Been a little little behind the ball because it was this is kind of the big social week of the year. Up here in Nemo, northeastern Missouri, and that's spring Turkey hunting. And so while I was writing the on language column this week, and I like to get up get a week off to a good start, get up at four or five a.m, or at least before 7: 30 the hunters got up around that time. They were out in the field. They already had one before 9 a.m, 23 and a half pound bird. And I cooked it up that same day. We we took it to the taxidermist and they clean it, give you the meat, give you such parts as you might want, like the beard and the spurs, say, as well as the meat rendered. And in exchange, they get the skin and the body. And we cooked it uh giant aluminum pan, cooked it at 450 for several hours, put it about, you know, a third full of water, enough to cover about half the meat, chop up a bunch of potatoes and Uh, use baby corn or other vegetables throw it in there you got to have some kind of liquid put a little bit of oil in with the water and it cooked really well in three four hours and covered it with aluminum foil took the foil off the last hour so the top browned up Uh, came out pretty nice then my cock my uh, crock pot that i was going to cook the legs in blew up so i just used a giant chili pot fairly similar operation but obviously more liquid more soup like and so Turkey week got off to a good start, but now I'm back alone and ready for more editorial. Yesterday, for those of you interested in the Craig Cobb scenario, Craig Cobb is the man of Leith, North Dakota, where he bought the lots and gave them to different people, and now he's in jail on various, not very credible charges i don't know if he's going to reach a plea agreement or what anyhow he emailed he mailed me uh a letter apparently the fbi came to talk to him about the rounder shooting and he had nothing to say so he went back to his cell and now he thinks they may cut off his phone or they did cut off his mail his phone privileges may cut off his mail Did cut off his phone, may cut off his mail, may throw him in solitary. And he sent me also, he had filed a complaint with the state bureaucracy in North Dakota about being discriminated against. They rejected it, but he sent me the states thing. I typed that all in. You can find that on the number one Craig Cobb and Lee thread. And read that up if you like. I have to say, it's kind of funny. All these guys who come to my forum, they don't follow the rules, they don't show any particular respect, and I ban them. And then they end up in prison, and then they write me letters. And then I work my fingers to the bone typing them in. But I've mostly stopped doing that. And I'm hoping to find there's... We always need people at VNN to step forward and handle sorts of tasks that will, like typing in letters, provide good editorial material for people. I've got my own agenda, talking, speaking, writing, and I don't particularly intend to be turned into... I won't be turned into someone else's secretary because they're in prison and have time to write endless letters to me. That's not how it works. Particularly if when they were free and strolling about, they didn't follow the rules of the forum. So let that be known. You know, there are other people who can do things. If you want to be in touch with these people, I have no problem with reporting what they say from prison because, as we know, the media never gives you the honest story, certainly never gives you the the other side of any white nationalist who's been jailed. So I have no problem printing what they say. But I personally do not want to sit there... And have and you know these letters come to me. I don't have a way to scan them or get them online quickly. I have to type them in by hand. And let me tell you, that uses up your energy and uh, just psychically, it's it's irritating when you know these people don't follow the rules. And eh, you see you see my irritation. But anyway, there's always stuff you can help with in that regard. And then another class of letter that I will get is just from some prisoner who's typically. I guess come across some list with VNN on it because I'll get a couple from the same place and they're looking for information. They seem to think we're a magazine or newspaper or something or that we're a a club or that we're a religion or we have something to do with the Satra. These people are looking for people to send them literature because prison tends to turn men into, if not thinkers, at least writers and, and readers who wouldn't be otherwise because they don't have much else to do, obviously. So... When I get this type of letter, I do not write them back myself. What I will do is print their letter. I will type in their short letters, typically, on a thread that you can find on the forum. And anyone who wants to write them or send them material, I'm sure they would very much appreciate it. But I can't vouch for their character. I have other things to do that I deem more important than that. But I will go so far as I will type in their name and their brief letter to put that out there. Now, it's up to someone else. That's a good form of activism for somebody to write these young men who might be interested and send them some kind of literature that they can read and think about. I would appreciate if someone would do that. I hope some of you are doing that. Anyway, we record this podcast at least uh, once a week on uh, on Wednesday, ideally, this time it was put off because, as I said, I had uh, the rare week I have some social obligations, but uh, normally it's done and up by Wednesday at noon. CST. So today we're not going to go overly long today. i have gone a couple hours the last couple, but I'm probably going to go 40, 40 44, five minutes, maybe. A little bit subdued. We got a little rainy weather. It's not super hot. I'm a little bit, a little bit tired from uh, cleaning the stove, cleaning the other stuff, and uh, trying to sell my glass table, which apparently no one is interested in. Kind of pissed me off in fact i'm not even sure i can give it away which is kind of funny because i was in a thrift shop the other day when i was trying to find uh a red candles and uh they had a glass table circular smaller than the one i have and they're trying to sell it for 125 now it has a much nicer iron frame but still the frame i have is not nice but it's a much nicer table but anyway i found the i found the uh The holiday that we're celebrating is Thermopylae Day and it's on April 20th and you make it a white on white cake with three blood red candles to symbolize the 300. I know there are more but the 300 fighters with Leonidas at Thermopylae holding the past knowing they're going to die but bravely resisting holding on long enough for for good to come of it. So we we respect and admire that spirit and we make and eat that cake In that that vein. We don't admire, you know, self-pitying, mawkish, oh, poor me, that other cults have for their leaders. Oh, I suffer. I'm too good for this world. I'm martyred. We don't have a martyr complex. We admire simple courage. We look to exhibit it in ourselves. And Thermopylae Day is the day to do that. Now, we're going to get to some other stuff, but I feel the need to elevate my spirit by singing a simple song about religious fervor. I've sung this before, but you'll know this as Shake a Snake for Jesus. And this is not the last song I will be singing today. This is the first song. There will be probably two. Is I have another original song like I said and it's called my love is conditional but we'll get to that later right now we want to reprise snake <clears throat> excuse me shake a snake for Jesus I'm going to give just a modest rendition of it I'm not going to add any frills this time I'm just going to sing it straight up and you know, appreciate the quality of the words and the thoughts that went into this the beautiful haunting melody mind you saw that as crazy as a man might be there's always some wacky aspect of Jebuism that will attract him even if it kills him. Alright. Put down your rake, pick up a snake now, give that snake a healthy shake. Yes, yeah, shake a snake for
1: Jesus, my friends, my friends. Oh shake a snake for Jesus, my friends. If it's got coils and you've got hands for this small act don't need amends. Yes, yeah, shake a snake for Jesus, my friends, my friends. Shake a snake for Jesus, my friends. Timber, rattler, cotton mouth well, my blood pressure's headed south. A king snake or a corn snake just won't do. To satisfy the Lord's divine, a poison snake's the only kind. To demonstrate your faith is pure, clean through. So, shake a snake for Jesus, my friends, my friends. Yeah, shake a snake for Jesus, my friends. They lie upon the dusty ground, and yet they never let us down, so make your hands a helping hoisting zoo the Lord won't bite, so why do you think different His pit viper fool, so shake a snake for Jesus, my friends, my friends, just lift and raise and elevate and praise and even ulate. <laughs> Yeah, shake a snake for Jesus. Forever, ever, ever loving Jesus. Yeah,
0: shake a snake for Jesus, my friends. And again, that's shake a snake for Jesus with a helpful demonstration of ululation. That's the noise that the Muslims make. The women's, they ululate. What a beautiful word, huh? Ululate. But I suspect those uh, backwoods country snake-shaking preachers all laid too. It just seems to go with the spirit of the thing, I think you'll agree. Now, I want to talk about the pussification of America a little bit and, and its incredible faith and expertise and why it's misplaced. Now, what I've, I've observed in this life is people generally have faith in either Jesus or government, faith in God or regulation. But as I've said, both of these religious faiths are baseless. There is no safety. There is the calculation of risk and contingency acting upon those calculations and then recalculating after reality takes place. You you get the feedback and you say, okay, well, I thought this was going to happen, but this happened. Figure it out why that was. The only assumption you need to operate on, because it's correct, is that reality does exist independent of your observations and your sense organs. And you know, philosophers have made a much bigger deal of that than need be. Even the smart ones, like Schopenhauer, oh, you don't know anything outside your own. Okay, yeah, that's true. You don't know anything outside your own sense organs, but so what? There's there's nothing deeper to be discovered in that vein, though they've labored for hundreds of years to try to dig into it and make much out of oh we have sense organs so everything we know is just an interpretation by our brain yeah well big deal that is not as big of a deal as has ever been made of it's something that's utterly worthless to go into we know that bees and birds see the world world differently but they see the same world they just see different degrees of sight and vision than we do but again that's not a big deal frankly it kind of irritates me people uh People get like that, they get fixated on stuff that doesn't matter. Now the strange thing is in recent days two different people, two different families have called nine one one on their cats. And this is how low America has sunk. That people are being terrorized by pussy cats, forced to call the authorities to handle the cat they couldn't handle. Now I've before I've mocked Back when I had TV and I watched Billy the Exterminator and people were just so beboozled, be, be baffled and you know perplexed by uh, such modest things as an armadillo digging holes in their garden or a corn snake that I suppose they thought was about to blossom into a 90-foot Burmese python like you see it in the, in the Everglades that they got to call a professional. The holy word in America, professional expert someone qualified to handle this there's such a it's such an essentially female effeminate attitude uh, I'm trying to think of an example where you would you might see this I remember uh, women have an inordinate faith in authority there that's you know it's often remarked on their sexual attraction to uniforms but that is a, their attraction to authority which sets down the law that they can conform to and then they're part of the group and that makes them feel good in their brain. And that's what it is. And As I've said, most men are women and they're not all that different in the way they mentate than the women are. And so they, they genuflect before authority, someone with expertise. And yet the only reality is if you can do it, you're an expert. If you can corral your cat, then you're, you know, you're validated as an official cat owner. But it's just kind of funny that there's been two cat attacks where the people were so terrorized and so unable to deal with it they called uh they called the uh the cops. And in keeping with our degenerate age, if you read the comments below these stories, you know, people always take the side of the animal against the owner. Like in the first story, okay, one of these in California, one of them's up in Oregon, and the one in Oregon the cat is 22 pounds. It's named Lux. And the man who owns it kind of a white pro with a dis- stupid tattoo and his young wife and they got all, you know, the metal stuck through stuck through her face and he's got tattoos, so you see what you're dealing with. But in any case, that's my prejudice. The guy works, he's got a kid, he likes his kid. The cat is territorial and swats things, says the man, and, and uh so it swats the baby and scratches him on the uh on the forehead. So the man gives this twenty two pound cat a kick to get it away from the uh kid. But then you read the comments and of course people are all always taking the side of the animal just like it's a nigger criminal. Where if there's any kind of politicization, you'll see them taking taking the side. Trayvon Martin's a good example, but people basically have come to exaggerate the virtues of animals and they've they've propped them up i guess because they're not having kids themselves so these animals become their boys and girls and the owners of their parents and this just makes me sick and i had not realized it's ubiquitous now that's that's the standard that's the basis from which the old you know pet or whatever is a de- now a uh, departure it's annoying you know if, if this if this starts attacking you just kick it or stomp on it or you know kill it have it put down but no you know they, they practically give these cats as much rights as people and yet people have fewer rights than they've ever had so so you think you see one of these and this is in Oregon where it happens and then you see the second one less than a couple weeks later California California it's funny how these are all covered in like the daily mail in in britain i gotta say they for the daily mail is roundly despised not because at least because it lies a lot it's always traditionally lied about germany and and invented atrocities and that sort of thing but daily mail is one of the few actual newspapers remaining and if you know the trends in the industry we've seen a huge consolidation and decline in the number of newspapers because everything's online but uh it does actual journalism, even though it's terribly edited. It misspells words all the time. It goes where the action is. It takes a lot of photos, and it, it reports a fair amount of text. And that's really what journalism is. It's an extension of the eye and ear if it's operating correctly. It's not there to tell you. It's not there to censor it for you in the way all americans are accustomed to in their journalism we know if a bunch of niggers go wilding in louisville at the waterfront park we know they're going to call them use and they're going to say it was random and it had nothing to do with race so we're entirely used to a sort of task level task being the old paper in the soviet union the task level need to vet the codes that the the media use in order to grasp the reality behind it but today where the papers allow commentary Per my media law, you get the 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 readers are always to the right of the writers. You get the story pretty quickly and effectively from people who don't have an axe to grind. Whereas journalism is sort of a guild that you only get in if you. It's very much akin to being like a, a Jesuit or something, where you have to believe certain dogmas in order to be admitted to the fold and be given a license to a union card, as it were, a license to practice. Templateering, let's call it, so that every story you know how to fill out the template, you know the ideology, and that's, that's what's called laughably reporting. Just as liberals aren't liberals, reporting isn't reporting. It's much more obscuring or covering up. Reality can't be admitted to exist if it deviates from the leftist ideology, and since so much does, I mean, leftism is almost defined as opposition to actual factual reality that the only reason they go into journalism or need to is to reverse or cover up the news to make it appear other than it is normal people don't aren't leftists though they don't they see reality for what it is and they you know it would be pretty strange if ordinary people's sense organs and brains were messed up and that everything that happened were re- inverted or flipped in their heads that's why this tiny sick minority needs to control needs to control the uh the media in order to mislead the public not just the media but the politicians and the uh, the textbooks and as Jacques Elul the French academic analyst said in propaganda you've got to control all the higher vectors of society in order to have true propaganda otherwise it's just advertising or publicity or you know loan kind of loan efforts from individuals but propaganda means going through all levels of society and you know all the points at which their sense organs touch the external world having something prepared to guide them in a certain direction so now anyway this is what americans have come to you know if they see a corn snake that they're they're, oh it must be a poisonous snake a they're ignorant b they're 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 cowardly they're ignorant they're cowardly they're attacked by their cats they got to call nine they're locked in the bathroom because they're afraid of their cat this is what America has fallen to. America, which used to be known for being self-reliant and, and tough. We've gone from what did, what did David, uh, what did Daniel Boone do? I mean, these guys are fighting bears with knives. We've gone from a nation full of men who fight bears with knives to a nation that gets locked inside of a bathroom because it can't handle a 20-pound domestic feline that's kind of pathetic in my opinion kind of pathetic hey, i'm gonna see let's just see how this works i'll play the uh, the cat attack this is a 911 call ray the cat He's charging us. He's charging us. He's, charging us. He's yeah. at our door, our bedroom door. One Here. moment, okay? See <laughs> him? Clean the your cat. Yeah, I, uh, I hear him. Hold on. Keep your door shut, okay? Portland police were called in to rescue a family from their own house cat. They say
1: after their 22-pound cat attacked their baby, it trapped the whole family
0: and the family dog in a bedroom until police... Oh, Jesus, that's America. Even the dogs are pussies. Okay, let's see moving on. I found something, uh, no, I'll leave that for a little bit later. I found a Mother Jones article talking about, uh, the wild man show. This is a guy from, uh, I think Kentucky, and he runs around catching turtles in ponds using nothing but his bare hands and looks for bubbles coming up, and then he knows where they are, and he digs for them in the mud, and he's done it enough he knows how to avoid getting uh bitten by the snapper turtles anyway point here is just that what you see on tv is all produced almost none of it is actually happening live hence uh, unfiltered so that whatever you see is something that someone wants you to see and that means it's it's altered in in certain lines and that includes even these wild reality shows and what this article they're trying to do a big expose on animal planet and how they're you know they're bringing in animals in in cages and boxes and then throwing them out there for the camera well okay we we they they do that it's not as dramatic the best they can come up with is that they had some coyote locked up in a cage and it i guess grew sick from confinement but uh And they prove through some paperwork that, you know, they're buying these animals that they need on their show from different uh, sellers. But the only point I wanted to make from this is that these shows are more produced than you would think. And so you should know that when you're it. like these animal shows are just like animal reality shows. Stuff doesn't happen on time and on schedule for them. Okay, now, leaving the cats aside, let's look at other examples of, uh... Here, here, these are two good stories about people resisting the appeal of listening to authority. And the first one is from a mudslide, and there's a picture, and this was covered in the uh, Daily Mail, shows a... Uh, Heavy bearded, five o'clock shadow man uh, out in that mudslide in Washington rescuing a baby while the cops are telling him no. Pictures emerged of the moment that five-year-old Duke Siddharth was plucked from the aftermath of the Washington landslide by a good Samaritan. Cody Weston was driving along a road and escaped the slide by seconds. He rushed to climb onto the debris field, ignoring the commands of a state trooper. Found little Duke lying injured and drew attention to his mother, Amanda, for other rescuers. Put the baby in his coat and rushed the child to safety. Duke is currently listed in serious condition, but is improving at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. His mother's legs were broken, but she is expected to make a full recovery. Now, and again, lower lower down, that's like this summary. Ignoring the commands of a state trooper not to enter the devastation, Wesson climbed in the debris field to look for survivors. You've got to help him. How can you not? What are you supposed to do? You can't just stand there and watch, said Wesson. I could see the baby's face. It was all bruised up. Uh, this is just a good example of, you know... What we see a lot of places are the cops and kind of the ambulance and the and the fire department all competing as first responders. This new, a new form of hero that's appeared on the American scene in recent years. And they they really compete to provide these services, and they're very. It's like in a movie. They're very. Uh, they don't want anyone intruding on their authority. No one. No one else is allowed to do anything unless they say so. And this is the spirit that's overtaking the country, but this guy just ignored it. And uh, Cody Wesson and uh, did what he thought was right. And we've even seen other examples where... I remember one, I don't have the link to hand, where someone drowned in a park and the cops were preventing people from... or telling people not to go in the water to rescue them until they had the right setup and uh, the person drowned. So... The worship of authorities is not American. It's un-American, and it's anti-American by our history. Unfortunately, over the 20th century, we've become somewhat docilized or domesticated to regard that, oh, we can't do anything without, we need an expert to tell us every little thing. It's so funny, too. If, you, uh, if you've ever been involved in a legal dispute or any kind of a need to sell a property where there's estimates involved, A good example of uh, of authority is interested. You can get just about any estimate you want on the value of a house, and that means that an estimate is not worth all that much because anyone with knowledge of a particular market can figure out more or less within a few thousand dollars what the actual material value of the house is. And yet, if you go to professionals, you can get a very wide range of estimations. All authority is like that, even even authorities that people tend to respect. Like uh like doctors, and that's what we'll see in the next story here. I don't want to belabor these, but it's pretty cool that the guy just ignored these cops and went in and did the right thing and got the kid and uh, you know, right or wrong thing, who knows? I mean maybe the kid will grow up to be an evil mass murderer who knows you know Roald Dahl wrote a story on that of course we we listening to this wouldn't agree with his point but it's still a clever point it's about a doctor saving a baby from the woman and the very the, the reveal at the very end is the sick baby the doctor saved uh, belonged to mrs hitler you see so you never fully know the the outcome of of some of what you do but you got to figure what's right or what what what's the best thing to do and just do it And don't worry if if too many people are against you. And so, that's a good story. Here's another good story. Okay. Also published in the Daily Mail. And this woman basically got a nasty disease and was going to die. And the doctors, oh, no, no, don't have a baby. You mustn't. Well, she did. She got pregnant and had her kid and survived long enough to give birth to a healthy child. And then she died completely 100% against the advice of the doctors. And I relate to this because I've had, I've had a chronic condition and, you know, the doctors of course would be, Oh, you got to take this. Oh, you got to go to this special. They'll have you on the treadmill running to this and that special. Well, I haven't cured myself, but through simply drinking water and exercising more and, and eating a little different, I've overcome and, and more than all of those combined times three, simply letting the body work in itself over time and, and, uh, adapt to a problem situation and overcome it your body is to some extent built to heal itself and you gotta let that work you don't want to distort that by a lot of this pussification in America a lot of doctoring is simply masking symptoms or covering them up but people are too pussy like the first prescription I got was for a prescription drug that was $600 for one month and I, I, you know, at that point, you're discombobulated. You're like, oh, okay, okay. And you come back, I can't afford $600 a month for drugs. I live on $400 a month. And, uh, oh, oh, well, uh, here's a, uh, here's a, uh, here's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Here's a generic drug that costs 30 of them. Oh, that's great. That's great. Would have liked to heard about that a month ago, but no, that's awesome. Totally. What's the difference? The six hundred dollar drug is a name brand that has buffers,
1: so your little tum tum doesn't get hurt. I mean, that's
0: how pathetic. That's what people are paying this, oh, this expertise. Blah blah blah. Oh, they know so much. They know so much. Yeah, they sure they sure don't want to listen to you that much. So, I say you could be your own doctor to a very good extent and half these diseases that people have are autoimmune and the doctors don't know how to cure them. They know how to uh, they know how to prescribe for them. Stuff that will lessen the symptoms somewhat. But gee, I've noticed drinking water and waiting a lot of time does the same amount of good. And I could verify that. I won't go into the details, but I I take playing my own doctor seriously. And I want to say I do appreciate all the things people have sent me over the years. None of it I've really overly used, but I do have a much better understanding of some of the uh, options and and the treatments that are out there because of what people have sent me and stuff that I've read, so I do appreciate that. And I'm not saying my way is the right way for everybody. I, it was the right way for me because to do what I do, I have to feel ebullient, let's say, could be another word, but let's say ebullient. To feel ebullient, I cannot be taking eight pills a day, feeling like a scrawny old man who's shivering. His shivering little palsied hand is lifting. Is <laughs> it don't know Is it time for my fifth and sixth pills? <laughs> uh,
1: I can't live like that. I have to be you know kind of a. I have to feel more like that, kind of jaunty. I
0: think you know what I'm talking about. I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. So I tried to cure myself with water. Water and time. But no prayer, no MDs. And you know what, it works. works fairly well. Anyway, let's read a little of this inspiring story. Probably stepped on a worm. The church was skewing pious. Okay. A New York City mom who chose to continue carrying her child rather than fight a recurring cancer tumor has died just weeks after giving birth to a healthy baby girl. And this appears to be a white woman. She's a good-looking, good-looking, before, you know, the cancer ate her up. Lots of pictures of her. Handsome husband, too. And so she and this man got buried in 2010. She developed suspicious growth in her lungs these are kind of rich New York people but they're not Jews best I can tell I'm trying to find the part so right after she gets a diagnosis she finds out she's pregnant within days Liz discovered she was pregnant I totally blew a gasket Max told the post they said there was no chance this was happening, and here it was happening. So again, that's what the doctor says this can't happen, and it does happen. But only a month later, they received the most terrible news: the tumor was back. Doctor removed the mass with another surgery, but because she was pregnant, Liz couldn't undergo full-body MRI scan. So her oncologist, that's a doc, oncology is, is tumor specialist, couldn't see whether the cancer was growing. Her due date was set for March 4th, but doctors couldn't wait that long. In January a surgeon performed a C-section and Lily Joyce was safely brought into the world. Doctors are good at surgery. They're they're better to be relied on for surgery or cutting things out or up than relied on for as sort of gatekeepers for pill companies that have an interest in creating I think of it as new utili- new form of utilities. What defines a utility? Well you you have it's an ongoing need. It's overhead. You have to pay it each month. Your electric, your gas, your water, even your internet is more or less something that we all have to have nowadays. And it's like these pain management pills are very much like utilities that you have to pay every month. You got to pay at least, you know, 30, 40 bucks. Insurance makes some money off it. The pill companies make money off of it. So there's no real interest in curing the condition or telling you that it's related to something you're doing that you can control. It's just download it to to these trained professionals. I could tell an obscene anecdote here, but I think I will not. so you download that to these trained professionals, and you know and there's more overhead it's a way to grow the economy for the medical sector so I just think it's great that the doctors, of course, the end of the story shows a picture of the kid. Lovely, cute little kid. Lillian Joyce was born happy and healthy in January. And that's a child the doctor said should not be born, could not be born, should not be had. And that the mother said, fuck you. You're going that way, I'm going this way. The mother said, fuck you, I'm having the kid, and it worked out fine. So remember, you are ultimately the one who makes decisions. Doctors don't know everything. They're not that freaking smart. They may have high IQs. They may have training, but that does not you can't overly estimate what that means. You cannot look at any other human being as some kind of a god who knows everything. Have the audacity to rely on your own authority. You know, you are the one who inhabits your own body. And there's a lot that you can understand that can't even be conveyed to a doctor that they're certainly not going to, nine-tenths of them are no more better at listening to people than than any any other person is. They all think, all smart people think they know everything. Like me, I'm a perfect example of that. And they're not really, they're going to listen to you sort of, but really they think they know everything and they think they, you don't know what's going on because you don't have the training. So even though you have an insuperable advantage in actually inhabiting the body in question, they're not really going to listen to you that much. And so you have to take that into account when you solicit their paid medical opinion. Maybe you get something good for them, maybe you don't, but you have to decide whether what they're saying is worth. That's what you're paying them for, their advice, based on their knowledge, supposedly. But just because someone's smart and has been trained doesn't mean they can't be wrong the hell of a lot of the time. And this is why I always uh, I always talk about uh, speculation as a better guide to the way the world actually operates. It's sort of a mind clarifier compared to religion, which may gives you a simple, clear, and wrong idea of the world. Speculating gives you a, a, a painful, ap- accurate view of the world. You say, take sports betting, and they say only. A maybe 2-3% actually make money at it and 97% lose but ask people what they think and they all think that they're good enough to make money at it and it could be sports betting it could be any other form of investment like the stock market I don't know what percentage of people supposedly make money in the stock market but I don't think it's all that high and yet when their stocks go up they think it's because of their own genius and when they go down they think it's because of the market or some other external is to blame people are very self-regarding and then you have the popularity of religion which just provides pat answers this is the funny thing about it this is why i'm so against it you know religion and christianity provides answers well you maybe should have held out for good answers or right answers or accurate answers it's exactly like that old lily tomlin joke when i was young i wanted to be somebody when i got older i realized i, I should have been more specific you know Oh, it provides, oh, provides answers. And notice they, they always say that. They always say Christianity provides answers. They never say it provides the right answers. And no, you can't assume it. Yeah, it does provide answers. They're not the right answers. They can't be verified. They've never been shown to work. It's inherently mentally defective, and that's why they make such easy dupes and dopes. Because it's essentially organized, socially approved form of cowardice. They have faith because they're afraid of reality. They're running from it. They want a mutually agreed delusional fantasy. Exactly what, wasn't it, Napoleon said about history is mutually agreed on lies. They want a mutually agreed on false context because it's more comforting to little scared them than reality. And I encourage people listening to this, don't, don't join that cult. Stay away from it. Belong to the cult, and it's not a cult. Belong to the minority that can stand reality, can look at it, can accept it, can laugh. The laughing scoffing people are the better ones. The the faithful, trusting idiots are the worse ones. It really is that simple. And so I love any story that shows up people with that faith and expertise as idiots. It shows that people who buck the system, who buck the trend, who said no, oh, the doctor says no, the moose says you're closed, I say you're open. I I love people who take that attitude, and uh, and triumph from it. Now this this child exists, Lily Joyce. Wasn't that her name? What was her name again? Where is she? Lily Ann Joyce exist because her mother had the balls to say, "Fuck you, I'm going this way. I'm having the kid. It's going to be a good kid. And if I die, well, you know what? That's the cost of doing business, baby. Nobody lives forever." And I'm going to use what I have left of my life will and my body to produce this baby. And that's the brakes. I'm not crying about it. That's how it is. We all knew that going in. Nobody got papers before they were born saying you're going to get a free ride in 92 in perfect health. So I will handle it and I will man up and I will not cry. And I will, as Bill Parcells said, don't tell me about the labor pain. Show me the baby she produced the baby and that's a testament to her high genetic quality and you better believe the spirit that she invested in this new child and i don't mean this in any religious way i would just guarantee you that if there is some operative mechanism at the cellular level you know well beyond anything i would know about and i i don't worry about you know what reality is ultimately composed of when you get down to atoms if there is some kind of life force or whatever she transferred the good stuff into the kid the kid will be the better because his mom made the hard choice. Did the hard thing, said fuck you to authority, followed her, uh, her own lead, and achieved the result. And the doctor sit there, left there with his dick in his hand and his fucking expertise trying to explain away what happened that he said couldn't happen. They don't freaking know everything. They're just people. Oh, they have degrees. They have a lot of years of training. Oh, well, yeah. All the answers are in a textbook. You betcha. Yeah, for they're, they're valuable for simple stuff, you know. But here's the thing about being a doctor that I've noticed. The depressing thing about doctors' waiting room, they're filled with basically obese, passive women who want someone to pay attention to them more than anything. Fat women are continually having medical problems so that others will pay attention to them. So they get, you know, half the attention that their younger, svelter, more attractive sisters get. Fat people get medical problems as a way to attract attention, that they can't garner through reasons of individual merit. It's somewhat similar to fat women fall downstairs and injure themselves in the same way that other people get tattoos or put metal through their nose and, and mouth, to just to get to meretricious attention. And then they can tell their stories, and they're at the center of things for once. And, uh... It's not my own private theory. <laughs>
1: All life emanates from the soil.
0: It emanates. It's the beautiful sun giving us our gifts. But uh the point is what the, you got to put yourself in the doctor's position. They have very long days, you know. They're 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 absolutely they are absolutely squeezed by the need to do paperwork that's driven many of them out of the business just driven them insane because they can't simply treat patients they have to spend all their time you know hiring or firing or or dealing with compliance and regulatory stuff when they need when that's not why they got into medicine in the first place i'm not ever saying they're ill motivated of course they want to make money and have status but they they you know if you simply want money and status it's probably easier being a lawyer than a doctor because they go through a lot of very hard training and then they have residency and that's very hard too. And then finally they get their own, they owe they owe hundreds of thousands in school bills. It's not that easy. They might not work those off till they're 47 or something. And so it's not all on them. They have a difficult job. And then I've speculated this, or this is what I observed, is I went to a specialist a few times. And the thing is, If you watch, now I don't watch these shows, but I know how they work. Like shows like House, you know, there's a show about doctors and there's always some obscure disease and they're trying to figure out what it is. That may make for good TV, but that is not the reality. The reality is 99% of what they see, a monkey could diagnose. It's the same thing. If it has a cause that's treatable, it will require. The patient to reform her behavior and the patient is not willing to do that so the doctor who might have gotten into medicine with the thrill of you know i could be a house and diagnose obscure diseases and really help people get better is confronted with the reality that people don't want to change their behavior he can sit there and give them all the pamphlets and all the encouragement he wants but really what is required has to come from within and is more of a spiritual thing than anything. And how ironic is that, that me who hates Christian science is saying that ultimately the decision you have to make in life is whether you're running your ship or whether fate is. That's, that's the ground decision. Do you control what happens to you or does something in the stars or externally control it? And so many people, the majority, decide that it's just a matter of luck, and some people have more luck than others, and that's why they're richer, better-looking, or better looking, whatever, and there's nothing they can do about it except drink beer and lament their fate. Those are losers. Those are the true losers in this world, and they are the majority. And if you join them health-wise, yeah, you'll, you'll be on the doctor shuttle going from this doctor to that doctor and this expert to that expert, and they'll tell you shit. You don't want to do it just give me some pills and take the pills and they make the symptoms a little better and then whine about how the government ought to pay all your costs this is how it works so the doctors are not all that inspired because turns out practicing medicine is not as fun as it might have seemed because you just see a lot of people who will not reform their behavior and what can the doctor do about that not a heck of a lot so, spare a little spot of commiseration with the, with a the poor doctor. I don't mean to ins- insult them. They are uh, generally pretty aggressive people, which I respect. If you see them at a conference, they will aggressively question one another. I really respect that because they're not sheep in that way, the way most Americans are. But as for actual medicine suffice it to say the incentives are a little bit skewed by the pill companies and by the fact that everything is over-regulated what we really need to have a rebirth in america the the interesting stuff in america always concerns diet and it's always at the edges because you've always got to battle since we have the fba fda and everything is all overly regulated it produces no safety i make this point continually but it's never responded to because a there's no response and b people are idiots They think, oh, if we have, even most, even, if not most, many white nationalists think this, well, the FDA regulates stuff, that means we're safe. But then how are there all these ads? Every approved drug has a list of side effects that includes death. Now, I'll bet you anything, that's not an overstatement. There may be one or two that don't cause death, but basically they all can cause any side effect, including death. If it's strong enough to help you, it's strong enough to hurt you. And so every approved drug, every government regulation Jesus-approved drug has side effects up to it, including death. Every single freaking one. I'm going to state that and let someone disagree if they like. If not all of them, then 95% of them have side effects up to and including death. So don't tell me there's any safety. Listen to what I'm saying. There is no safety. You have to calculate the risk yourself and decide what's worth doing. And maybe a doctor has a role in offering you some advice but ultimately you are responsible for your own health and outcomes not the doctor. He's responsible for what you allow him to take response say you know fixing your broken leg and there's plenty of things doctors are good at doing or surgeons are good at doing that you should trust them to do but there's plenty of things they're not particularly good at and they're not really going to tell you they're not all that good at. There's plenty of scope for where your mind and morals and your governing of your own behavior can make the difference, and it should make the difference if you're if you have the right character. But if you want to be a loser and blame others and let let them sort it out and let them take responsibility, oh, I'm just doing what the doctor. The doctor doesn't always know best, man. You may have an internal spiritual problem that the doctor can't solve or even recognize, because they can't they can't really admit stuff like that exists. And how many of them you have to look. Holistically at things as well as specifically at, at details. Like if your leg is broken, that's your problem. Your leg is broken. You need to have your leg fixed. But if your problem is, you know, something less easily definable, well, it may not be so much of a physical problem as a character problem, or a so, or a uh, exercise problem, or a. Uh, it may be the effects of of the way that you're living in a more general, hazier, vaguer sense. And you need to figure that out yourself because the doctor's going to have a really hard time. Doctors don't have any time. First of all, they got to see fifteen patients in the morning, and then see some in their office at their clinic. Then go back and check in some of those other patients, and then there's always some emergencies that crop up. They're freaking exhausted, man. They don't have time to sit there and ask you for two hours how you're living and identify the stresses and identify where uh, where you might need to reform things. You have to do this yourself by taking the active role. Reading about stuff, learning about stuff, figuring out what you're doing wrong. You have to everyone is his own doctor. He may use a formally trained MD as part of that process, but ultimately you have to control and govern this yourself. That's part of being a goddamn adult. And I'm just tired of these people who faith and expertise that's unwarranted and refusal to take command of their own ship. Hey, as M. Scott Peckerman says, "On team making me better, I'm batting cleanup." And M. Scott Peckerman is very seldom wrong about anything. He's an expert we all can trust. All right, enough of that. I feel the need for a spot of song. So we'll use my new one. I'm going to sing my new one. I still have, I need, I may need a recommendation or two. I've got a few verses, but I need, I think I need one more, but I'm going to sing it anyway because it it could be complete as it is, but I, I like to think of, I don't like to think of anything as totally complete. I like to, I like to go back and edit in little things later and rewrite stuff a little later. Why can't it be scintillating, you know, like, like an ocean. It's more or less the same every time you look at it, you know, in the starlight or the waning sunlight, but it's still a little different. There's slightly different wave patterns. It's nice to amend things from time to time. It keeps it fresh. It keeps it real. Not real, just fresh. Uh, first, I want to say, for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about three things, and that's, first, look at a little FBI setup of a uh, Somali immigrant. I suppose one of those is the State Department stuck in the U.S., then we'll look at just a little bit from Thomas Sowell, Ray and uh, a really remarkable figure uh, I came across in his column. Finally, we'll look at the uh, organized big queer plan for getting America to love the homos, how they, how they adopted that. I've actually typed this up on VNN Forum, but it's worth going into a little bit uh, on air, so we'll talk about that. All right, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. This is My Love is Conditional. And you need to think of this in like a Trace Atkins mode. I'm going to sing it a little that way. Uh, leave your socks around in clots. Stick young babies with your cock. Hell, just leave food in unwashed pots. I'll hate you because my love is conditional. My love, it do depend. <coughs> my love is conditional. <laughs> My love, it has an end. Well, once there was a man away up north. His name was John Wayne Gacy. He raped and strangled teenage boys with their own dirty skiv. He said, Mrs. Gacy said, my love is conditional. My love, it do depend. My love is conditional. My love, son, it has an end. So all you out there who love doing wrong and who wouldn't be caught doing right, On hell's ember you're gonna toast And what I'm saying ain't spite Now everybody, now our love is conditional Our love it do depend Our love is conditional Our love it has an end Conform your behavior to established norms Or inside a prison you'll stay Cause even if you color inside of the lines No one likes you that much anyway Your love is conditional our love, it do depend. Our love is conditional. We ain't your pets, my friend. All right, that's my love is conditional. I may add another verse to it, but I think it's got a damn good chorus. And you could dance to it. But uh, it's making a point about love. I want to be loved unconditionally. This, there's this attitude that I've, I have found. I've made a scientific amateur study. Well, it's because I don't have relevant degrees, and I like to munch on radio raisins. Doesn't mean I can't be a scientist. A scientist is merely one who observes, theorizes, and checks results against reality. And that's a damn good way to go through life. Remember, all life emanates from the soil. It emanates. It's nature giving us our gifts. Now. Let's see. What I've noticed, this is the mentality. I just want to be love for me. If you read a lot of personals ads, <coughs> one of my hobbies is reading personal ads and then collecting straight lines and making a sort of collage poetry out of them. It's truly, you can make some absolutely the funniest things in the world. Is the inadvertent humor and in personal ads. And the things people say about themselves are utterly ridiculous. <laughs> and easily spoofable. But, uh, and I've posted these before in Vienna. It's just kind of a fun little game if you're really bored. But my point is certain things that people say show you their mindset. And I'm tying this back into what I said about their belief that ultimately someone else is in charge. I want to be love for me. I don't want people trying to change these are people who don't ever want to hear that they're possibly wrong about something. They they want to be and and again, this is this Christianity ties into this by teaching everyone that they have some inherent soul of an estimable value. Now we we white nationalists listening to this can see how obviously wrong that is when when it's applied to the Teishans and the Dishans and the the rest of the uh uh Violent nigger use, we can see how worthless they are and how utterly crazy it is <coughs> to treat them as individuals rather than an undifferentiated mass of uh, misery causing inkiness. But if you remove the color difference, make them white, make them nonviolent, yet the same problem remains. They, I want to be loved for being me. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear any criticism. I wanna hear that I'm perfect. I wanna I wanna have everything on my own terms. And this mentality is absolutely pervasive. This unadultness, this this unwillingness to assume any role or responsibility for one's own problems is very pervasive among whites. And the whole idea of conditional love, I'm giving you a little background of this song. Conditional love. that You get tired. I want to be loved loved unconditionally. Um, people don't think about what that means. That's the point of the sign to highlight that. Should John Wayne Gacy's mother love him unconditionally when he's strangling and murdering people? You know, and burying them in the crawl space under his house? I don't think so. I think there's a time for that love to end. Separate the, the sitter from his uh, sins. Says the Christian idiot. The contemptible reality hating nitwit, the cult that has undermined the white race. How can you separate the sinner from the sin and also believe in free will? The sinner chose the sin of his free will, which I certainly believe. Then he has to stand for it. And that means he should be hated if if he's doing destructive things. You should hate... They say that love is, is takes strength and weakness is easy, or, or hate is easy. That's not true. That's the opposite of the truth. Hate is hard. Love is easy. Anyone can love. I want to be loved unconditionally. Well, get a pet then. Then the pet doesn't even love you. It just, it's just a simulacrum of it that satisfies you because your mind is, is satisfied by things that don't take any effort. Undemanding. Yeah, the dog's going to, of course, you're bigger. You're feeding it. Of course, it doesn't love you. It may recognize you as the leader of its pack, because that's how dogs operate instinctively, but it doesn't love you. Though it will defend you, yeah, it will, but that's how dogs act by their instincts. I always—I read this poem years ago in some PaleoCon publication, and it was all about... I really wish I'd saved that, because I was never able to find it. They love dogs and cats because they, did, they didn't have any ability to love one another. So that, that takes some actual effort. It's pretty darn hard to love human beings. You know? But it's even harder to hate. I guess it's easiest simply to... I want to be loved for me, even if I'm defective and lazy and have all these problems. You should still love me unconditionally anyway. Mm. I would say at least two thirds of the people walking around. It would really they really shouldn't exist. I mean it it's easy to sympathize with a super elite in that regard of their their desire to reduce the world population. And yet the truth remains that the earth is not overpopulated. It just has a it has a bad mix of people. There are not enough whites and too many, uh too many blacks. Well any is too many blacks. But This idea that people have some inherently valuable quality merely because they survived outside the womb is ridiculous. And you say, well, oh, you know, all we ever hear about, oh, you're treating people as ends, you're using them, you're not treating them as objects in and of themselves created by God for special... Well, you know... If if that's true and God did that, he did a goddamn shitty job. Based on a lot of the people, he really produced a lot of crappy workmanship. If all these all these individual niggers were handcrafted to to do what? They're utterly useless in our civilization. I don't see where we owe them respect when they're ripping down what we've created or all these stupid fat chicks with bluebirds on their clavicles and
1: I'm a work in progress. God isn't finished. God is finished with you. He turned away in disgust, man.
0: (sighs) Ah, I hate that. Anyway, I want you to join me in my campaign against unconditional love. Eh, I like cats and dogs. That's great. You like pets. You like animals. Animals are easy to love. Humans are a little harder. And then again, I would say, is love the right response to most other human beings? I mean, how is, and I've gone into this before. Christianity is against promiscuous physical love, but they're for promiscuous spiritual love. The one can destroy the body, but the other has no ill effects and is actually a good thing. I don't think so. I love humanity. People who love humanity A they genuinely, generally don't. But then why do they feel the need to profess that? People have to do something to be worthy of love. And someone like Chester well no, then it's just admiration if there are reasons involved. Well, okay, so then you love things that are ugly. Oh, just because they're your okay, your little batch of animated homemade sin you know I don't have to uh, I don't have to love it if it's not lovable I reserve love for what's lovable you want to be loved be lovable you know I think that's the way to look at it so now let's get to uh, three things I've mentioned here here's a ne- remarkable thing okay And I'm going to go through these. We've already got an hour and five minutes. Of course I said 45. Of course I was wrong. So whenever I say stuff like that, I have no freaking idea. Because things occur to me and then I say them. And it tends to take up time. Uh, Thomas Sowell, he's a black neocon. He was trained up by the Yids. He supports all their warmongering. But if you get him on the other stuff, he's actually pretty good. One of the few who has written about the achievements of those of German descent in America. He'll point out how Germans and Chinese stayed out of politics in the U.S. and became very successful without being corrupt like a lot of the Irish, you know, corrupt big city politics. But uh, I'm, I'm not going after the Irish there other than to say there's a thousand books. Oh, the Irish did this, they did this, blah, blah, blah. But you don't ever hear about the Germans, and yet they're the biggest white demographic group. So... Whatever material success America has had is, in some measure, due to them, I think. Successful farmers, very frugal people, generally. Um, and this, this is remarkable. He's writing about liberalism. He's writing about taxes and welfare benefits and the situation we've created with the welfare state Most of the households in the bottom 20% of income earners have nobody working. Now think about how amazing that is. Most of the households in the bottom 20%, 20%, one in five. Most of the households in the bottom 20% of income earners have nobody working. And then this. There are more heads of household working full-time and year-round in the top 5%. And in the bottom, 20%. Now, that is freaking incredible. That is surely historically unprecedented. That is the kind of fat-bodied, slug population we've created of dependents. And not just niggers, plenty of whites, tens of millions of whites and, and, and niggers who don't work. And who are purely subsidized out of white men who do work. So more more heads of households in the top 5% work than in the bottom 20%. Is that not absolutely amazing? Because these niggers can get so many benefits, niggers whether black or white, food stamps, what have you, what have you, lying around. And then they use the trick, since these people don't really have income, of saying, oh, there's all this poverty out there, because they don't count these in-kind aids or these non-cash aids, food stamps and what have you, as as part of their income. So there's always this huge service-needing and growing portion of the population that we need to have bigger and bigger government. That's all the U.S. is anymore. Even if, if you leave the race part out of it, it's just the parasites and the system that – the system creates the parasites that need the system to continue to exist and to expand. And that is now like half of what's going on. And the other half is normal people who work jobs, real jobs, real needed jobs in the private economy and make private money. So it's, it's pretty much split between parasites and productive people. Then you throw the Jew, Zog, racial element on top of that. And we live in a pretty damn awful state where it's kind of like Sam Francis said, a narco tyranny. It's, it's anarchy for the protected classes, i.e. basically everybody Who's not a white male earner sex deviant you know and and any white normal white sexual normal who works at a private job is the bad guy, and everybody else is more or less the good guy. They can run wild and free even if they're not American citizens if they just made it into the inside the borders and then for the white white middle class guy who plays by the rules, there's tyranny, harassment, high taxes. Disrespect in the media, disrespect in the classroom where his kids are raised to hate him. Uh, it's a pretty pathetic country the US has become. But I thought that was worth mentioning. That's from Thomas Sowell, I found it on the LouRockwell.com blog. Now another story I found in that blog, this is about the FBI setting up people for terror. And we know that like all the acts of virtually all the acts of terrorism that you find in the US are created by the FBI. I'm not talking about like shootings necessarily, they're not, but a lot of the, uh, but some of them, like even like the the Boston bombing, there's more to it than meets the, oh, the FBI is aware of these guys and knows them and has worked with them and trained them and overseen them for years. This stuff always trickles out years after the fact when there's no media attention to it, except among a fringe element that pays attention to civil rights and actual, uh, not civil rights, but freedoms, real constitutional freedoms. Protection from search and seizures in the Fourth Amendment or the Second Amendment, right, to bear arms. First Amendment, right, to speak freely, even in areas where cops would like to make it illegal. Now, in the context here, and again, this comes from a black writer, another good black writer, William Norman Grigg. There are a few, Solon Grig are two of them. Grigg is a guy who writes for the uh, uh, New American which is the, uh, what, is what is it, what is it, what is it, what is that group? The, uh, ugh, can't think of it. The, the, uh, the group that Rockwell and Pierce got kicked out of. The ones who talk endlessly about communism and the New World Order but won't let you say Jew. Anyway, Grig does a lot of good reporting on what cops are actually up to, including federal cops. And here he's writing about the FBI. This is also on the uh, lewrockwell.com blog recently, and he's talking about cops encouraging parents to turn in their kids, to report on their kids who have strange attitudes. It's kind of the reverse of the Young Pioneers communist idea of kids reporting on parents who harbor wrong ideas. So he says... According to Lisa Monaco, Barack Obama's security and counterterrorism advisor, parents have a duty to monitor the attitudes and enthusiasms of their children and report them to law enforcement if they display symptoms of incipient extremism. In an address to Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government, and that the JFK School of Government at Harvard is where each new incoming freshman class goes to be trained up in how to behave as a member of Congress. That's kind of in which they become kind of galvanized into the system or dipped in it or steeped in it or whatever metaphor you want to use. <laughs> of course, that's after they've already been vetted by the ADL when they become a candidate to make sure they're on the Israel. Correct, they're, they're semitically correct in all the agenda items that Israel cares about, which certainly includes the domestic racial stuff where they're not allowed to be pro white if they disagree with any of that, the ADL attacks them, funds their opponent, destroys them. So, this broad, Lisa Monaco, Barack Obama's security and counterterrorism advisor, talking at JFK School of Government at Harvard, Monaco suggested that sudden personality changes in children, including a confrontational attitude, might betoken terrorist tendencies. And we know that the ADL... SPLC have trained FBI and others that anyone interested in the Constitution is a sign of extremism or terror, potential terrorism. Any white male who looks at the Constitution and likes the rights he sees and, and desires to exercise them is a potential terrorist. That's what cops are trained. That's what the government is trained by the Jews actually running the country as opposed to the, the nominal figureheads. So, So the woman says, the government is rarely in a position to observe these early signals, so we need to do more to help communities understand the warning signs and then work together to intervene before an incident can occur. Griggs says, this is exactly what was done by Osman Barre, or Barre, B-A-R-R-E, a Somali-born software engineer living in Portland, Oregon, when he became concerned that his teenage son, Muhammad Osman Mohammed. Osman Mohamud was being radicalized by exposure to jihadist holy war literature. Like many other native Somalis, Mohamud was aware of the violence being waged against his homeland and other Muslim countries by the regime in Washington. He was born shortly before the U.S.-led humanitarian invasion of Somalia in 1992, He was barely a teenager when the administration of Bush the Younger prodded the Ethiopian government into invading and occupying the country. And he was aware of Washington's ongoing proxy and drone war against Somalia in which innocent people are routinely wiped out in, quote, targeted killings, unquote, against, quote, carried out against, quote, suspected militants. Okay, so hardly surprising that Muhammad was resentful of U.S. government's behavior in his native land. As a teenager, he expressed an interest in traveling to Saudi Arabia, immersing himself in the study of Islam, and then enlisting in what he believed would be a defensive jihad in Afghanistan or Yemen. Yemen. By the time his father contacted the FBI in 2009, Mohammed had struck up an email correspondence with militants abroad and had written essays on physical fitness for jihad-oriented online publications. He had also made plans to work in Alaska in order to raise funds for his anticipated travels abroad. Barre expressed his concerns to the FBI, which quite helpfully arranged for two of its terrorism facilitators to take charge of the 18-year-old's indoctrination. Prior to 2010, muhammad had expressed an interest in traveling to alaska to spend the summer working as a commercial fisherman this conceivably could have allowed the troubled young man to find his bearings and discover a nonviolent way to act on his ideals and ambitions the fbi not wanting to lose a promising tar- prospect for a false flag operation detained him at the portland airport when he tried to travel to kodiak and questioning him for questioned him for several hours Rather than leaving the teenager alone or, dare we imagine, warning him against resorting to violent crime, the FBI operatives took an inventory of his attitudes and grievances and groomed him as a patsy. After cutting him off from productive employment, the feds isolated their chosen victim, systematically indoctrinated him, gave him thousands of dollars in cash, and then deployed him against the civilian population in Portland in a staged pseudo-terrorist plot. Dr. Mark Sageman, a former CIA case officer who interviewed Muhammad extensively following his arrest, testified that being forbidden to travel to Alaska was a pivot point in the young man's life. He had wanted to make a lot of money, and when that opportunity was foreclosed, the young man became severely depressed and thus even more malleable in the practiced hands of the regime's terrorism facilitators. Prior to his meeting with the FBI's terrorism recruiters, Sageman concluded, Muhammad had a low probability of turning to violence under the guidance of the fbi however mohammed by that time 20 21 years old was lured into a homeland security theater operation involving an attack on a christmas ceremony in portland with an inert bomb provided by his federal handlers makes you wonder about the Harpum case and what all was involved there did they profile him on vnn as a potentially angry uh uh, ex-military and go after him and, and give him a bomb to place at the uh, MLK parade? Who knows? Haven't heard anything on it, but when you hear stuff like this, it sure makes you wonder. After the feds... Okay, so they gave him a bomb, to uh, an inert bomb to place at this Christmas ceremony in Portland. After the feds heroically thwarted a plot of their own contrivance, Muhammad was convicted on terrorism-related charges and awaits sentencing. All of this was made possible by an earnest but misled father who behaved just as Commissarina Monaco prescribed. He contacted the feds to report that his son was displaying quote-unquote dangerous attitudes. In addition to being informants, the feds want parents to act as terrorism recruiters, identifying troubled young people, usually boys, who can be fed into the FBI's Homeland Security Theater apparatus. And, you know, that's how it goes. I think that's an interesting little uh, story. We have all these federal agencies. There basically is no terrorism in America. It's invented by the FBI and these other groups to justify their own budgets. They have to essentially produce it since it doesn't exist. And they do that by, as this article shows, getting others to provide them with People who are emotionally troubled or have some character defect that they can then groom to produce these stage-managed uh, plots that they call the media along to document their scotching of, which makes them the hero and, and guarantees they'll look good when they demand a, a budget raise in the next year. And that's what we saw happen, Oh, we've seen that for decades that's part of what was going on with the ATF in uh Oklahoma City. Now, we'll we'll leave that story alone there and uh talk about one more thing. All right, now I want to talk about how big queer Contrive to have sexual deviance become normalized in the in the in this country and even approved by a large minority or or uh, around 50 percent of the people. I'm reading from page 23 of David Kupelian's *The Marketing of Evil*. Kupelian is uh, one of the higher ups at WorldNet Daily. Daily, thus one of Shitlip's Joes, suck poop, Joes. Suck-poop Joe Fair, as the Arab Christians uh, Jew-serving tool. So, Kupelian, though he gives a good outline of, of what queers do, leaves out the all-important fact, Much, very similar to Colin Flaherty, another uh, World Net Daily guy who reports on hush crimes, without ever mentioning the Jewish context, Jewish-created political milieu that makes these things possible, that is, by, through civil rights, through forcing destructive blacks into white communities is what gives them access to commit the crimes that he writes about for profit. And white girl bleed a lot. Similar to that, Kupelian leaves out the fact that the strategy that big queer pursued is only possible when the media supports your positions. If the media were opposed to the agenda of big queer, they couldn't do anything because it requires the mass media to carry out. And he never he never mentions this. Okay, so nevertheless, he provides some valuable history. In February 1988, okay, 88, 98, 2008. Oh, that's 26 years ago, right? 175 activists. So 25. So a quarter century ago, 25, 26 years ago, 175 leading activists representing queer groups across the nation held a war conference in Warrington, Virginia, to map out their movement's future. Shortly thereafter, activists Marshall Kirk, K-I-R-K, and Hunter Madsen, M-A-D-S-E-N, put into book form the Comprehensive Public Relations Plan they had been advocating with their gay rights peers for several years. So this is February of 1988, that long ago, they set in motion their Comprehensive Plan to normalize queerdom in the eyes of the American public, using the Jew-controlled mass media, which was fully supportive and complicit in their plans. Says Coupelli, Kirk and Madsen were not the kind of drooling activists that would burn churches and throw condoms in the air. That's stuff that was going on back then. They were smart guys, very smart. Kirk, a Harvard-educated researcher in neuropsychiatry, worked with the Johns Hopkins study of mathematically precocious youth and designed aptitude tests for adults with 200-plus IQs. Madsen, with a doctorate in politics from Harvard, was an expert on the public persuasion tactics and social marketing. Together, they wrote After the Ball How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. So, that's the book, or that's the uh, strategy that the queers pursued called After the Ball How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. So, their plan is to go from people disliking queers in the 80s to people loving queers in the 2000s. Look around you now and see if you think their plan has worked. So they say, as cynical as it may seem, AIDS gives us a chance, however brief, to establish ourselves as a victimized minority legitimately deserving some of America's special protection and care. And just looking at this as an example of of propaganda, they had... This is the key. They came up with a three-stage plan of desensitize, jam, convert. To one, As Kirk and Madsen put it, to one extent or another, the separability and manipulability of the verbal label is the basis for all the abstract principles underlying our proposed campaign. That is, call them gays when they're not gay. They're not gay, they're the opposite of gay. Homosexuality had always been considered a psychological disorder. Until political pressure, real physical pressure, changed that in the early 70s, and they and they normalized it in the relevant psychiatric professional body, leaving aside what you think of psychiatry as a as science, which I don't really think it is. But in any case, the they had considered homosexual behavior to be symptomatic of a mental disorder, and it wasn't science or pseudoscience that changed that; it was political pressure. That fact is always left out you're never told it just as you're never told that the original name of AIDS was gay related immunodeficiency which correctly identified what was spreading the disease allow me to trans separability manipulability uh, says uh, Kupelian allow me to translate this We can change what people actually think and feel by breaking their current negative association with our cause and replacing them with positive association. Simple case in point, homosexual activists call their movement gay rights. This accomplishes two major objectives, use of the word gay rather than homosexual, masks the controversial sexual behavior involved, and accentuates instead a vague but positive-sounding cultural identity, gay, which after all once meant happy. Describing their battle from the get-go as one over rights implies homosexuals are being denied basic freedoms of citizenship that others enjoy. So, merely by using the term "gay rights" and persuading politicians and the media to adopt this terminology, activists seek to transform, seeking to transform America, frame the terms of the debate in their favor almost before the contest begins. And in public relations warfare, he who frames the terms of the debate almost always wins. The abortion rights movement has prevailed in that war precisely because it succeeded early on in framing the debate question as a question not of abortion but of choice. The abortion vanguard correctly anticipated that it would be far easier to defend an abstract, positive-sounding idea like choice than to defend the unrestricted slaughter of unborn babies. But of course, Capellian is. Avoiding the problem here, which is, it's not that the people on either side of this don't know that, it's that the media decides which frame gets used. And repeated a million times. It's not like the people opposed to abortion don't have their own frames and don't use them. It's that the media are owned by people who support abortion, and so they frame it as a matter of choice, just as the people on the side of abortion prefer. Now, the, the, the queers, uh, Madsen and Kirk, say, when you're very different and people hate you for it, this is what you do. First, you get your foot in the door by being as similar as possible. Then, and only then, when your one little difference is finally accepted, can you start dragging in your other peculiarities one by one. You hammer in the wedge, narrow end first. As the saying goes, allow the camel's nose bet- beneath your tent and the whole body will soon follow. In other words, sadomasochists, leather, leather fetishists, cross-dressers, transgenders, and other peculiar members of the homosexual community need to keep away from the tent and out of sight while the sales job is underway. Later, once the camel is safely inside, there will be room for all. Rondeau explains Kirk and Madsen's techniques of desensitization, jamming, and conversion this way. Desensitization is described as inundating the public in a continuous flood of gay-related advertising presented Presented in the least offensive fashion possible. If straights can't shut off the shower, they may at least eventually get used to being wet. But the activists did not mean advertising in the usual marketing context, but rather quite a different approach. The main thing is to talk about gayness until the issue becomes thoroughly tiresome. They add... Seek desensitization and nothing more. If you can get straight to think homosexuality is just another thing, meriting no more than a shrug of the shoulders, then your battle for legal and social rights is virtually won. This planned hege- hegemony is a variant of the type that Michael Warren describes in Seeing Through the Media, where it, quote, is not raw overt coercion. It is one group's covert orchestration of compliance by another group through the structuring The consciousness of the second group. And people are unaware this is being done, but because it's being done by a perceived authority that is television more than any other thing, uh, they allow it to seep into their consciousness and start using its frames and its terms. Structuring the consciousness of others? If that phraseology is uncomfortably reminiscent of various mind control and brainwashing tales you might have heard over the years, don't be surprised manipulating the emotions and thereby restructuring the thoughts and beliefs of large numbers of people is what modern marketing is all about so that's desensitizing just simply flooding people with gay 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 gayness everywhere you look gays 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 people talking about gays that's what they did that's stage one jamming explains and this is stage two Is psychological terrorism meant to silence expression of or even support for dissenting opinion? Radio counselor and psychologist Dr. Laura Schlesinger experienced a big-time jamming during the run-up to her planned television show. Outraged over a single comment critical of homosexuals she made in her radio program, activists launched a massive intimidation campaign against the television program's advertisers. As a result, the new show was stillborn. But perhaps the highest-profile example of jamming occurred after the 1998 murder of University of Wyoming freshman Matthew Shepard. Lured from a bar, robbed, and savagely beaten by two men, Shepard died five days later of head injuries. In the frenzied saturation media coverage that followed, the press and homosexual activists singled out conservative Christians as having created a climate of gay hate in which such a brutal act could happen. And now, of course, they later find out he had AIDS, and he was basically cruising, and he probably knew the people beforehand, and the crime had nothing to do with him being queer. But, of course, all that doesn't matter. They used it as a way to attack anyone, any force for traditional morality, or anyone who perceived that queerness is something negative and bad. Mainly Christians were the, were the main source of that, so that's who they went after. And then, as if to add even more shame to the whole hog jamming of Christians after the Shepherd murder in 2004. And again, Kupelian and, and Fair are pushing Christian morality generally, but never mentioning Jews. They're sort of little dogs, basically. In 2004, a comprehensive new investigation by ABC News concluded that homosexuality very likely wasn't a factor in Shepherd's murder, but rather Shepherd had been targeted for his money. So much for desensitization and jamming. So they flood you with images of gay, 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 and then then they they try to destroy anyone who speaks against it. But what about conversion? Here, Kirk and Madsen announced defiantly, we mean conversion of the average American's emotions, mind, and will through a planned psychological attack in the form of propaganda fed to the nation via media. Now, how can they do that unless the media are on their side? The answer is they can't, but Kupelian doesn't go into that at all, because that would mean talking about Jews, and that he and his boss, Suck Poop Joe, will not do. We mean subverting the mechanism of prejudice to our own ends, using the very processes that made America hate us to turn their hatred into warm regard, whether they like it or not. Transferring transforming another person's hatred into love or warm regard is the object of classic brainwashing. As Kirk and Madsen explain, in conversion we mimic the natural process of stereotype learning with the following effect. We take the bigot's good feelings about all right guys and attach them to the label gay, either weakening or eventually replacing his bad feelings toward the label and the prior stereotype. Whereas in jamming the target is shown a bigot being rejected by his crowd for his prejudice against gays as you would see in like a sitcom or something. In conversion, the target has shown his crowd naturally associating with gays and good fellowship. Once again, it's very difficult for the average person who by nature and training almost inav- invariably feels what he sees his fellows feeling not to respond in this knee-jerk fashion to a sufficiently calculated advertisement. So this is saying, yeah, people have free will and individuality, but basically they're just schoolfish and herd animals, and they will react the way the rest of the herd is reacting. So if you sufficiently calculate your approach without their realizing it, you can get them to turn their negative feelings toward queers into positive ones, and they won't even know where the idea is coming from. Suddenly gays are everywhere, and the people opposing them are being beaten up verbally, and people who support them are being treated warmly, so I'd better go along. It's more subconscious than conscious. It makes no difference that the ads are lies, right, Kirk and Madsen, not to us, because we're using them to ethically, ethically good effect, to counter negative stereotypes that are every bit as much lies and far more wicked ones. Well, that's simply not true. They don't tell you about what homosexuals do. They don't tell you about the immense cost. They don't tell you how they change the status of their disorder to one of normality, using illegitimate means, uh, that is, political pressure rather than scientific fact. They don't tell you about homosexuals being prone to molesting gigantic numbers of children. They don't tell you about queers grooming and training and going after... Teenagers, all of that is completely hidden. Instead, they're going to make you love them through the through the the Jews own the media and allows the homosexuals to create the content that promotes this destructive behavior for their own ends. Kupelian nowhere mentions the Frankfurt School and its belief that promoting general social looseness and specifically sexual promiscuity and sexual obsession are the way to break up goyish society, white society traditional morality and renders society Jew-positivist, turning it into a milieu where Jews are comfortable and and everyone else uh, walks on eggshells, essentially. And so I think we'll leave that there. I may have even talked about that before. I honestly can't remember if I did or not. I know I've written about it two or three different times, but it's important to make... The points that I made, we could I would love if I could simply read Capellian to you, but it's not enough because he leaves out the all important thing is like, well, how come the mass media simply go along with this? I mean WND itself wouldn't go along with this. Why why would CBS and ABC and NBC and the cable channels and the major papers go along with this plan? What would even be the point in putting together a plan unless you knew that the media were on your side? That's the bigger political question here. Capellian avoids it completely. Just out of the ether, somehow the media are totally willing to go along and totally willing to have all the sitcoms and and the dramas and the news shows written to promote this agenda of the queer minority. And and Capellian has nothing to say about that. Um, that will do it. I think I'm going to wrap up by re-singing my song again. I'll, I'll give it a slightly different try this this way. I may come back in a couple of days i got to replant some garlics. But uh, I'll be writing and updating various stuff. We updated the Greek stuff. The election is now... Jeez, mere about three weeks away in Greece. You know, they've thrown all the, the leaders in jail. Extremely biased media coverage of Golden Dawn. And we'll see how they do. We're tracking that really closely. And... Once again... I'm Alex Linder. I'm on uh, Alex Linder 5 on Twitter. My forum is VNNForum.com. We've had a upsurge in the number of people. Uh, I'm doing all kinds of work on it. Uh, we've got lots of good people leaving comments. I encourage you to join if you're literate, sane, and have uh, have something to contribute, talking about your local area or about subjects that you really know about. I'd, I'd like to uh, have you join us, VNNForum.com. Now I'll give one more rendition of the song. Let's see if I can do it a little slightly differently. It's always good to sing it a little differently. All right, this is about love. I'm trying to get you to think a little about conditional love versus unconditional love. And all we ever hear is propaganda in favor of unconditional love. This song is kind of making the contrary point. Leave your socks around in clots. Stick young babies with your cock Hell, just leave food in unwashed pots, I'll hate you, cause my love's conditional, my love it do depend, my love's conditional, my love it has an end. Well, once there was a man away up north, his name was John C. He raped and strangled teenage boys with her own dirty skivvies.
1: And Mrs. Casey said, my love is conditional. My love, it do depend. My love is conditional. My love, son, it has an end. So all you out there who love doing wrong and wouldn't be caught in doing right. On hell's amber, you're gonna toast, know what I'm saying ain't spite. Now everybody, now our love's conditional. Our love it do depend. Our love's conditional. Our love it has an end. Conform your behavior to established norms, or inside a prison you'll stay. Cause even if you color inside of the lines, no one likes you that much anyway. Our love's conditional. I love it, do depend. Our love's conditional. We ain't your pets, my friend.
0: All right. This was show number six. I'm going to sign off. And in conclusion, there's only one thing I want to say. Channeling the late Midwestern popular Paul Harvey. Good day.